Lord, as we come here trying to really learn from your word, uh, we need your help to help us to hear. Uh, because we're, we're certain that there's no lack of content or intent on your part, but there's can be a lack of concentration or effort or willingness to hear, to change. So you constantly, as you did your ministry here, said, let him who has ears, let them hear. Because it's possible to hear and not really digest the information. So may every soul here hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, I'm doing a, a sermon about this next Sunday, so this is kind of too... Uh, repetition is the mother of all learning. So uh, if you go to Christ Community Church, you're going to get uh, this ver very similar uh, sermon in a couple of Sundays. Uh, but I want to look at um, specifically 1 Samuel chapter 25. Uh, but let's get uh, sort of a background here. Um, 1 Samuel is about the book, about really about three main characters, and that's uh, Sam, Samuel, who's the prophet, Saul, who's the first king, and then David, who's the second king of Israel. And what you have here in this book uh, at this point is David has been anointed the king, but Saul is still the king. And there's this long chase. It actually takes, uh, it takes uh, the place over 10 years. So uh, David has killed Goliath. David's getting a lot of accolades. David is sort of rising in his leadership. It causes a great deal of jealousy for Saul. And so Saul ends up trying to kill David. And so David spends 10 years basically running around in the wilderness trying to hide from Saul. And uh, that's, that's, the, that's the second half of 1 Samuel. And so um, th when we think about this particular uh, time in David's life, this is a time of uh, tremendous pressure. So you can imagine for 10 years, somebody's trying to put you to death, and you're always on the run. So there's all kinds of pressure on you, and then you're leading sort of a, a little band of, of brothers that are kind of formulating your leadership team, and then you have your own family to deal with, and, and of course, you've got all these other kinds of pressures on you, and so... When you're under pressure, you find out, you know, where the holes are. You know, this is your, maybe you started your spring cleaning. It's been a while since you turned on your garden hose, right? And you turn it on, and it worked last year, but, you know, this year, pressure comes on, and, you know, got a little hole somewhere. And you don't find it until pressure comes on. And so we're, what we're watching here with David is we're watching real pressure come on. And how, how does he deal with real pressure? Of course, that's the question for us. How, how, do, how do we operate under pressure? And one of the most difficult things to do under pressure is to, to exercise restraint. Because a lot of times when you're under pressure, you want to you fix something, you want to get something done, you want to get it off of you, you want to do something. And I'm not saying that's terrible, but, but under pressure, you might need to exercise restraint, and it's very hard to do it at that particular 
moment. So if we were just sort of look through here in chapter 19, the pressure begins. Saul gets jealous and tries to kill David for the first time. Then in chapter 20, Jonathan, who's Saul's son, uh, they, they have this great friendship, Jonathan and David, and Jonathan warns David, hey, it really isn't safe for you to be around here. So in chapter 21, David flees from uh, Jerusalem, and he goes to this place looking for help. It's a town called Nob, N-O-B, Nob, and it's a monastery. And in this monastery, there's a priest, and he's like, priest, help me out. You know, the guy's flee, fleeing to church. I need help. I don't have any food. I don't have any weapons. I have nothing. I'm just running away from the king. And this uh, priest, Abimelech, actually gives him some bread and gives him the sword of Goliath. And so David takes the sword of Goliath. He takes the bread. He realizes by being in Nob, he's actually jeopardizing Abimelech. So he, he runs to a cave in, verse, in chapter 22. In 22, Saul finds out that David had been to Nob. All right, you tracking with me? So Saul's chasing after David. He goes to Nob and says, hey, was David here? Did he help you? Did anybody help anybody out here? So Abimelech says, look, he told me he was part doing something for the king. All I did is give him some food. I gave him the sword. That's it. Saul becomes enraged and he kills Abimelech and 85 priests in the monastery. Okay, that's a massive overreaction, say the least. So Abimelech hadn't done anything wrong, but let's just say he had. So he pays for it. But it's like, hey, you know, you're here, I'm killing you, and I, and he gets his goon squad, and 85 monks, basically, 85 priests are slaughtered in chapter 22. It's really a, a low point, and Saul has a lot of them, and this is one of them. In chapter 24, David's still running around in the desert, and an unusual event happens. Uh, it, this is kind of a chase scene, and these uh, one little band of brothers, David, and then Saul and his army, and Saul has to go to the bathroom. It's a very unusual moment in the Bible. So to go to the bathroom, when you're out in the desert, you go find a cave. You can squat in. Well, you know what? Of all those caves that uh, Saul decides to choose, guess who's in the cave? David and his men. They're in the back of this cave. And so they're squeezed in the back of this cave, and here comes Saul all by himself into the cave to take a dump. All right? So let's just imagine you're out on Masonboro Island. You go across. You get in the little weeds, uh, the high grass or whatever, and you're just all by yourself. But now here's a moment. David and his little band are there, and then Saul's all by himself. Maybe nobody knows which cave he wandered into. And David's men say, oh, this is the perfect moment. We can finally get rid of this guy. This, this must be from God. I mean, this is how else would he have chosen this cave that we're in? And so they're, they're putting pressure on David to say, hey, I know you've been saying that Saul was chosen by God, which he was. And so you're not going to take matters into your own hand. You're going to let God deal with Saul. But I think this is a time that we should accelerate God's plan. You ever done that? That's a, man, that's a bad decision. 
you want to accelerate God's plan. So you know this, this is not the right thing to do, but there's pressure, there's pressure on. There's pressure because you're in a cave. There's pressure because you're, not, you're hungry. There's pressure because all these other things. And now you've got these men saying, hey, let's finally kill Saul. This is our ch- chance. And David says this in uh, chapter 24, Lord, forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David rebuked his men and didn't allow them to attack Saul. And so what we're supposed to see here in these chapters are a couple of things. One is the contrast between Saul's character and David's character, but also um, to, to see how um, exercising restraint, especially under pressure, is a key leadership characteristic. And here, you definitely see how David does it. I mean, you and I, all of us would have been tempted to do the same. Let's, let's, let's take matters into our own hand. Let's accelerate God's plan. Let's get out of this cave, and let's get on to being the king. Um, but then, you have chapter 25. And it feels like when you're reading through, it's like, Arr! like why do, why do we have chapter 25? It's just this weird, odd story that doesn't have much to do, to do with David running around in the desert. And then in chapter 26, it picks back up, and David's basically in a cave again. So it feels like somebody just dropped in this little story. But I think the story is in here on purpose. Not, not I think. It is in here. It's not, not a matter what I think. It is here on purpose to say, hey, under pressure, David operates pretty well in chapter 24, pretty well in chapter 26, but he doesn't operate too well in 25. And that's what we want to think about here. So uh, let's just sort of read through this together and I'll make some comments and then we'll have some time to, um, to, um, to ask questions. But before that, I want to show this little video. This is one of my favorite uh, movies. It's called Second Hand Lions. It's an old movie now, uh, but if you've never seen it, you should see it. Um, and especially if you're an old man, right, Bill Hatcher? It's a great movie for, for old men. Uh, but it's really a great movie if you're a dad with a son. It's really, that's the kind of, if you have a son, you should watch the movie with your son because it's a cool movie. But, um, you know, there's this little bar scene here. A couple of guys get into a little tussle. And, uh, you know, they're trying to, ex- one, group, one guy's trying to exercise restraint. It's just hard under pressure. And uh, let's just have a laugh about this, and then we'll get to chapter 25. suckling on his mama's tit he's been given everything but discipline and now his idea of courage and manhood is to get together with a bunch of punk friends and ride around irritating folks too good natured to put a stop to it <laughs> hey who do you think you are huh just dumb kid huh? don't kill him <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Bob McCann. I fought in two world wars and countless smaller ones on three continents. I led thousands of men into battle with everything from horses and swords to artillery and tanks. I've seen the headwaters of the Nile and tribes of natives no white man had ever seen before. I've won and lost a dozen fortunes, killed many men, and loved only one woman with a passion a flea like you could never begin to understand. That's who I am. Now go home, Show these old passengers, come. Get out your mind. Now, boys, you're fixing to let those teenage hormones get you into the world of trouble. Damn it, Garth, did I ask you to butt in? Huh, you just come out to the hospital. Well, hey, there's, uh, there's only four of them. Yeah, but, well, look, look, you fight this one first, yeah. and then I'll let you fight the other three after, okay? Yeah. Watch this, kid. Now, you. You better pick that knife up. Because, son, you're going to need all the help you can get. <laughs> Come on, Frankie. Get him, Frankie. Cut him, Frankie. Get him, Frankie. Get him, Frankie. Cut him. Get him, Frankie. Shoot. Hold his trick in the book. Oh, okay. Hold it wrong, son. Not like this. You always do it like this. Smooth. All right? Try it again. Come on, Frankie. Come on, Frankie. Get him. You know, you noticed uh, Robert Duvall, he tried to exercise restraint, right? Just go on, kid. Like, this isn't going to work out well. And, and then he, you know, kind of throws the guy and says, you know, just, you know, you guys, you know, get out of here. But then he just can't, you know, can't, he can't do it, can't hold it. And that, but, you know, it's funny, but that's what happens. You, you try a couple times, and then finally it's just like, I can't do it. You know, volcano, right? And uh, so when we get to David, he, again, he's, he's this guy under a tremendous amount of pressure. And cha- again, chapter 25, now Samuel died, let's see, uh, then David rose, went down to the wilderness, he's still in this desert, and there was a man there uh, in business, I'm not going to read every word here, the man was rich, he had 3,000 sheep three th- and thousands of goats. And he was shearing the sheep on this particular day. And now the, the name of the man was Nabal, N-A-B-A-L. And the name of his wife was Abigail. And the woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. And his name, Nabal, means fool. So he has a discerning wife, but he's a fool. He's rich, he's wealthy, he's well-known. 
but he's a fool. Uh, fortunately for him, he has a good wife. Verse 4, David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So when you read through verse 4 through 9, basically David and his men help Nabal out. They help him with the sheep. They help shear the sheep. They do all these kinds of things. No harm was done to anything. Nothing was missing. And so David is helping. And now he comes to Nabal with this reasonable request. And he says, hey, some of our guys here... Have come and they need some food and something to drink. Here's Nabal's response, verse 10. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Now he knows who David is. Who is the son of Jesse? He, know, he knows who David is. There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take, shall, shall I take my bread and my water and my meat? And have I killed for the shearers and give it to the men who've come that I do not know where, from, where they've come from. So Nabal knows David. He's, been, he's benefited from David. He probably knows that David has been anointed a king in some form or another. But he doesn't want to give to David probably what was owed to David. But certainly something that David had done a big favor for him. And now he's saying, hey, I don't, you know, I don't have time for you. So Nabal's a fool. Now, so one question I have is, just how do you respond to a fool? So this young man in the movie, he's a fool. You've seen a lot of these guys. They're fools. Maybe they're just young. I mean, I've done a lot of foolish things, especially when I was younger. So somebody comes to you in some situation. Could be a business situation. Could be a kid. But whatever you know the person's a fool. So how do you respond? Well, it's pretty interesting, this Proverbs. Is it on up here? I love this. First of all, the first Proverb 24, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or what? You become a fool, right? Don't lower yourself to the fool. You know, if somebody's acting like a middle school boy, don't, just don't act like a middle school boy. Just, you know, try to stay uh, above that. We don't, we don't have a good example of that in a lot of our current leadership. But, so, we want to make sure that when a fool comes, we're not going to act like a fool. So we're not going to answer him. But then, next verse, answer a fool. Okay, hold on. Verse 4, do not answer a fool. So, did the writer say... Well, I just stopped on verse 4, took a break, came back, and I didn't read verse 4 before I read, wrote verse 5. No. It's a book about wisdom. So sometimes you're going to have to not answer a fool, and sometimes you are going to have to answer a fool, because you're going to have to answer him, or else he's going to be wise in his own eyes. You're going to let a fool stay a fool if you don't say, hey, you know what? You're a fool. But my question is, see, this is a book of wisdom, Proverbs, and it's saying to you, you've got to exercise discernment. Is this the per time to not answer a fool and step back? Or is this the time to answer a fool and step forward? See, that, we can't know every kind of situation. You have to be discerning. Which one, which one will you do? Well, David steps forward and decides to answer a fool. It's a bad step forward. Should have stepped back. And look what he does, verse 12. 
So David, he doesn't get what he wants, which is just food and drink for his men. So David's young men turned away and came back and told David all that had happened. We went to Nabal. We had helped him all, all this stuff. He didn't give us anything. And David said to, this men, to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped, every, every man strapped on a sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David. Verse 21. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all this fellow has in the wilderness. See, he'd helped him out. Now it's been in vain. So that nothing was missed that all belonged to him, and he has returned for me evil for good. He's acted like a fool. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him alive. Now what does this sound like? Nabal is a fool. David's going to go put Nabal to death and every male connected to him. What does that sound like? Sounds a lot like Saul. See, David's turning into Saul here. That's what you're supposed to see. Complete overreaction. And, and this, is, this is a classic, I couldn't tell you how many times I've done it. Pressure, pressure, and just overreaction by you. Your overreaction becomes a bigger problem than the problem you're reacting to. Did that ever happen to you? Something has happened, and it's been bad. It's, it's, somebody's acted a fool. And you've got to somehow figure out, do I say something, do I not say something? But even if you say something, if you grossly overreact, then we've got two problems. We've got the problem you were trying to face, and you've got this massive overreaction from you. And now your overreaction actually is a bigger problem than the problem you were facing. So this is one of those things, under pressure, under pressure. Gosh, I can think of two or three times I thought, if I could take that thing back, that moment back, and just say, Paul, step back, buddy. You're just about ready to blow a gasket, and you're not going to just burn one person that you're after. You're going to burn all these people around, and now you're going to have all these fires to put out that you started. You started because you just couldn't restrain yourself at this pressurized moment. And probably some of you are thinking, this is me today when I get to the office about it at 8.15. But if it's not you today, it's going to be you tonight at home, you tomorrow with your girlfriend, you the next day with your son or daughter. It's going to, it doesn't, it won't, it won't be two weeks before, you know, you come back and say, yeah, I had one of these moments. So how do you, how do you restrain yourself under these kinds of moments? So David's under pressure. He's turning into Saul. And now we have these two, two problems. So now we transition into this uh, real leadership uh, moment, verse 14, with Abigail. And so Abigail, she's the shining star in this chapter. She's the real leader. She's the one that exercises really great uh, leadership, and she basically delivers a PhD for us. Look at verses uh, 14 through 31, and we'll just sort of read through these. 
But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife. And so David sent messengers out to the wilderness to greet greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields. This is all about him keeping the sheep. Then Abigail, verse 18, made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five uh, sheaths of grain and hundreds of clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs. See, she puts all this on donkeys and she sends them out and says to, with her servant, go on before me and send this food out to David. Very savvy, very savvy. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you need to stop. You need to halt. She knows it. If these men are hungry, I'm not going to be able to talk to them. So the very first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to try to satisfy a felt need before I try to satisfy some other need. This is, this is really savvy leadership. See, you, you go in and you're like a missile. Boom, I'm going to get to this issue. And you might just step back and say, you know what? I can satisfy a real need first. And then, then I might have an audience for this other thing that's really the main thing. Do you see how sharp that is? You can, you can use this today, tomorrow, the next day. I've got, I've got issue B, and if I just come in like a missile on issue B, it's going to be a big problem. But if I can possibly say, I see you have a felt need, and how can I work towards that? Then I might have like an open door for you to be more open to, hey, you're trying to kill my husband. That's really the big problem for Abigail, right? So really smart, really smart. Then uh, she appears to David in 23. So after he's everybody's eaten. When Abigail saw David, she hurried, got down from a donkey, and fell before David on her face and bowed down to the ground. So she's humble. She doesn't have any power. Actually, she has actually a lot of, she has the, she's the person who has the most power in the story. She has the power to save her husband and to stop David. But in, in the way you and I think about power, Nabal has power because he has wealth, and David has power because he has an army and he's going to be the king. But do you see how God uses Abigail, a person who has no power, to really exercise power? This is, this is just a reversal of how we think about power. First of all, she comes in and exercises a, a leadership trait. I'm going, to, I'm going to get a felt need met. Secondly, I'm going to come in humbly. I'm not going to come in and say, you idiot, you're trying to kill my husband? What in the world? No, that's probably not going to be a good response. She humbly approaches David, verse 25. Let, my, uh, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow. She knows her husband's a fool, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Very tough statement. And folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men, my Lord, whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt. See, right now you're on your way, but I I think this is me standing here, the Lord restraining you from putting my, my husband to death and all the other men. 
restrain you from blood guilt and from saving saving with your own hand. Key phrase. I, I don't want you to save yourself with your own hand. Let's let the Lord operate. And now let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be his navel. Don't be a fool, in other words. So she comes in and says, look, I'm, I'm here to restrain you from something that's going to be a stain on your leadership the rest of your life. This is very smart. She's not appealing just to the moment. Like She's like, look, don't be a fool. The guy is a fool. I, under, I totally get it. I, look, I've lived with the guy. I know he's a fool. But you're, you're doing Proverbs 24. You're going to be a fool now. So I'm here to restrain you. And I wonder just when you're under that kind of pressure and you're ready to be the missile, how well you're able to listen to somebody who comes in right at that moment. God may just send somebody who doesn't look very impressive to just sort of intersect you in a little, little side street. I mean, David could have just completely dismissed her. Look, old woman, I'm done. I mean, just as if you don't exist. But he at least stops and listens. And I just wonder, under restraint, under pressure, what's your capacity to listen to another voice? David listens. She reminds him of all the Lord's promises in verse 28 and 30, which you can read. And then finally, she, sa- she says, don't, you don't, we saw this, don't save with your own hand. Don't take matters into your own hand. Don't accelerate what God is going to do. And so David listens. And he stops. And in verse uh, at the end of the chapter, 32 through 35, um, Dave, um, or 38, Nabal dies 10 days later. Imagine David going, man, so glad. I'm so glad I didn't do that. I, I'm so glad I didn't accelerate God's plan. So when we think about this, one of the things that we see is we see this um, really savvy leadership. She's, she exercises her leadership by by meeting a felt need. She is humble. Her wisdom is prevailing over passion. And then she is exercising restraint for, for David. So the, the, these are sort of my questions. You're under pressure. How do you, how do you act under pressure? Where, where is a pressure point in your life right now? How can you learn to exercise restraint, key moments, so that you don't explode and now your explosion actually is the biggest problem in the room? How good are you at listening to advice? Again, let's just try to picture it ourselves. It's an army of 400 men who all have strapped up, right? So let's just imagine the, the Navy SEALs, all four of them, 400, they've, they've, they've gotten ashore. David's the leader. They're all charged up. They're hungry, right? They're angry. They're lonely. They're tired. One woman comes out of the brush. And then David turns around and tells all these men, guys, we're not going to go forward. That's a, that's a big leadership moment for David. Hey, guys, we're turning around. 
So how, how, how well are you able to listen to that voice rather than just mow over it and then have a stain on your character that you then have to live with the rest of your life? That, and you've had this. If you had only waited a few more days, something would have changed. See, when you get under pressure, it's never going to change. It's always going to be like you use these very exaggerated terms. And just 10 days later, Nabal dies at God's hands, not David's hands. So we got plenty to talk about here. So get in a group of three or four. I'll put up some questions here and you guys discuss. Ready? Break.